I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. When a 25-year-old woman and her three daughters disappeared suddenly in July of 2019, her closest friends thought maybe she was taking time away to decompress from the stress of everyday life, something she'd been known to do in the past. They had a few conversations with her on Facebook while she was gone, but it soon became clear that the person on Facebook claiming to be Jessica McCormick was just an imposter who'd somehow hacked into her account. Several weeks later, Jessica's body was found on a highway in the Ozarks after it had fallen out of a suitcase that she'd been stuffed into. The shocking discovery prompted a search for Jessica's three daughters, who were nowhere to be found. This would mark the beginning of an ongoing fight to find answers. Who killed Jessica McCormick? After more than three years since her death, that question still has not been answered. What, if anything, have authorities done to solve this case? Is the investigation just stalled, or have investigators failed to handle Jessica's case properly? Will there ever be any justice for Jessica? This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish, Join me as I walk you through the case involving Jessica McCormick. This case takes us to the town of Knoll, Missouri, which lies within McDonald County in the southwestern corner of the state. It's a quaint town spanning a total area of two square miles with a population of just over 2,000 people. 
Knoll is situated on the Elk River and surrounded by the famed limestone mountains of the Ozarks. The town is about 100 miles from Ozark, Missouri, which was made famous by a popular Netflix series called Ozark. Knoll was named after two brothers who owned a sawmill in the area in 1886, William Jasper Knoll and Clark Wallace Knoll. Summers in the small town are typically hot and muggy, and winters bring several inches of snow from December to March. In the fall, the trees turn a beautiful orange and red, and in the spring, it's been said that there is no better place to see some of the most rare and unusual wildflowers in the world. Tyson Foods has a large plant in Knoll, which employs over 1,600 people, almost two-thirds of the entire population. When the Tyson plant opened years ago, Knoll's population increased significantly due to immigrants making their way to the town, a large number of whom came from Somalia in search of steady work. According to an NPR radio show called All Things Considered that aired on December 10th of 2013, many Somali immigrants found it very challenging to live in Knoll because they didn't feel welcome. Today, Knoll's relationship with its immigrant residents has improved, but it's still a work in progress. The town has a few nicknames, but it's best known as the canoe capital of the Ozarks because of the Elk River, which winds through the area as it makes its way across southwest Missouri. Tourists flock to the clear, fast-moving waters for canoeing and floating, as well as camping and fishing. Knoll is also known as Christmas City because of a tradition started in the 1930s. Every year between Thanksgiving and Christmas, Knoll's post office stamps a unique Christmas postmark on all personal holiday cards. It's so popular that the post office handles tens of thousands of pieces of mail from all over the world during the holiday season. On July 29, 2019, a bicyclist was riding on Highway 59 between Knoll and the small village of Ginger Blue. With steep, tree-lined hillsides rising up along the highway and the Elk River nearby, the scenery could have been described as beautiful or even tranquil if it weren't for the gruesome discovery made that day. The cyclist stumbled upon a partially clothed, decomposing body at the bottom of a cliff, alongside the road just north of the Shady Beach campground. The body had fallen out of a suitcase, which sat nearby, and had been exposed to the elements for an unknown amount of time. Due to the level of decomposition, authorities were unable to readily tell the age of the body or any distinguishing facial characteristics. They could only determine that it was a female and estimated her age to be around 40 years old. It would be over a month before the body was positively identified as that of Jessica McCormick. Jessica Nicole McCormick was born on June 15, 1994 in Greene County, Missouri to Elva Jones and Kenneth McCormick. Jessica had two half-brothers from her mother's first marriage, Jason and Jeremy Murphy. Jason was 14 years older than Jessica, and Jeremy was five years older. Though she and her siblings weren't very close, they loved each other a lot and maintained contact even though they didn't live together. Elva worked as a licensed practical nurse to provide for her family, as Kenneth wasn't around much. Jessica didn't have much of a relationship with her father. The man Jessica considered to be her dad was William Eads, whom her mother married after divorcing Kenneth. William was in and out of jail for most of Jessica's life before he died in 2017, but he cared a great deal for her and she really looked up to him. 
By all accounts, Jessica's life was anything but easy. Her mother, stepfather, and her brothers all struggled with drug use and addiction. Jessica's surroundings likely contributed to her struggling with addiction as well, and it started at a pretty young age. Jessica attended elementary schools in both the towns of Jasper and Sarcoxy. She began junior high in Sarcoxy before attending Carthage Junior High in another town. In September of 2006, just four days before her 49th birthday, Jessica's mother died suddenly of a heart attack, most likely brought on by her years of drug use. Jessica was only 11 years old at the time of her mother's death. After losing her mom, Jessica moved in with her oldest brother, Jason, and his wife. Jason was the only person who played an active role in raising her into adulthood. Jessica went on to attend Carthage High School until she dropped out at the age of 16, at which time she moved to Knoll to live with her boyfriend, Miguel Casillas. It was not a healthy relationship. Miguel was physically abusive. It was during this toxic relationship that Jessica met Mahmoud Mohammed, who went by the name Tito. Tito and Jessica met at the Tyson Foods plant where they both worked. Eventually, they started dating but this relationship was no better. Tito also abused Jessica, and he was one of the last people to see her alive. Jessica McCormick was a beautiful soul who brought people together, according to her friends. They say she was always the life of the party, and she didn't put up with anyone's nonsense. She had a great sense of humor that ranged from dry or sarcastic to crude, depending on her frame of mind. She was extremely kind and selfless, always thinking of others before herself. Jessica never wanted anyone to feel alone or without someone in their corner. It didn't matter what race or religion somebody was. Jessica showed love for all people. She loved music in all forms, but when it came down to it, rap and country music were her favorites. Cowgirls Don't Cry by Brooks and Dunn, featuring Reba McIntyre, was her favorite song. When she was young, Jessica was completely obsessed with horses. She loved to swim, even though she hated the outdoors, a funny fact that still makes her friends smile to this day. Jessica also had a deep love for Dr. Pepper, but it had to be a fountain drink, no cans or bottles, and it had to have no ice. Jessica did not like her Dr. Pepper watered down. Jessica's children and her friends meant everything to her and she loved to spend as much time with them as possible. Her close friends say she was like a sister to them, and all of their kids were like brothers and sisters. Jessica's death completely devastated her friends and her brothers, and the fact that no suspect has ever been named or arrested for her murder has left them feeling as though law enforcement has completely forgotten about her. Murderish is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're all trying our best. Sometimes it seems like life would be easier if it just came with a user manual. It's normal to feel stuck on certain challenging paths in life, but you don't have to go through it alone. BetterHelp offers 100% online therapy by licensed therapists to help you figure out the cause of difficult emotions and how to implement productive coping strategies. And it's completely online, so therapy is accessible anywhere. I fully support and encourage therapy. There are so many benefits. It can help you deal with trauma from your past, 
help you develop confidence, or simply help you learn healthier coping mechanisms. I see nothing but the positives of seeing a therapist. I've benefited from getting therapy, having someone to talk to in a judgment-free, safe space who gave me guidance on things I was struggling with was incredibly helpful. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists, available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It could not be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash murderish. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash murderish. Having great hair makes me feel more confident. Having hair care that's tailored to my individual needs, well, that's a game changer. For example, my current hair goal is to have more body. Function of Beauty customizes my hair products with ingredients that will help me reach this goal. Function of Beauty is the world's first fully customizable hair care that creates individually filled shampoos, conditioners, styling products, and treatment formulas designed specifically for you and your hair type. They offer over 54 trillion possible formulas, and each one is sulfate and paraben-free, vegan and cruelty-free, and you can choose silicone-free products too. It's so simple to get started. Here's how you do it. First, take the Function of Beauty hair quiz and select up to five different hair goals that you want to achieve. The quiz is designed to create your unique hair profile. If you're someone whose hair gets frizzy in the winter, but oily in the summer, or vice versa, you can update your hair care whenever you need and as often as you want in order to keep your hair on track. After you complete the hair quiz, you get to choose your color and fragrance. I chose a really clean looking white color and added a bit of fragrance to mine, but you have the option to go dye or fragrance free. Then you get your freshly filled formula delivered right to your door. Start giving your hair the personalized care it needs. Go to functionofbeauty.com murderish to take your hair goals quiz and you'll save 20% on your first order when you subscribe. No commitments and you can cancel anytime. Go to functionofbeauty.com murderish to let them know you heard about it from our show and to get 20% off your first order. That's functionofbeauty.com murderish to take your hair quiz and save 20% on your first order. On Halloween night last week, I was walking around the neighborhood while my daughter was trick-or-treating, and then I saw it. I saw a house decorated with Christmas lights and reindeer. I couldn't believe it. How is it already holiday season? Every year, I feel like the holiday season hits me like a ton of bricks. If you're a small business owner, you're either really excited for the upcoming season or you're dreading it. But don't worry, it's not too late to get your holiday mailing and shipping under control with Stamps.com. If you sign up now, you'll be printing your own postage in minutes. For over 20 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for more than a million different businesses. Even better, it's a stress-free solution for every small business. You can use Stamps.com to print postage anytime and anywhere. If you run an online store, Stamps.com easily integrates with all of the major shopping carts and marketplaces. You'll get access to all of the USPS and UPS services that you need right from your computer. The only things you need are a regular computer and printer, 
That's it. This holiday season, trade late nights for silent nights and get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code MURDERISH for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MURDERISH. The McDonald County Sheriff's Office, or MCSO, which is a relatively small agency, responded to Highway 59 after the body was discovered, and they were accompanied by the McDonald County Coroner. The coroner estimated that the body had been out in the elements for anywhere from two weeks to one month. He wasn't able to make a more concrete estimate due to recent flooding and high temperatures in the area, which had most likely contributed to the advanced decomp of the body. A short distance from the body, detectives found a suitcase. They also found what was described as strong evidence that the body had been stuffed inside of the suitcase, though the details of that evidence have never been disclosed. It was their belief that the body fell out of the suitcase after possibly being thrown over the cliff from above, or the suitcase could have been thrown from a moving vehicle on the highway. An autopsy was conducted, but examiners were not able to determine the cause or manner of death due to the extent of decomposition. In the meantime, medical examiners were waiting on toxicology and other tests before making any conclusions. Based on what detectives observed at the scene, the incident was treated as a homicide because, as McDonald County Sheriff Michael Hall put it, she wasn't put in the suitcase on her own. Newspapers reported that detectives began following up on several leads, though they didn't report on what led investigators to start taking a closer look at Jessica. Perhaps it was the fact that there had been prior calls for service involving Jessica, or the fact that Knoll is a small town, and Jessica actually knew most of the officers from everyday life. Whatever the reasons, once MCSOs started down that path, they discovered some important information. A review of 911 calls via the McDonald County Dispatch Center showed that Jessica's last known address was 229 Main Street in Knoll, and that on July 16, 2019, about two weeks before her body was found, officers with the Knoll Marshal's office had been called to that location. Once there, they made contact with Jessica, her three children, and her boyfriend, Tito. All of them were alive and well at the time. The dispatch records also showed that officers checked Tito for active warrants while on the scene that day. Strangely, no officer from the Knoll Marshal's office has ever claimed to be or was ever identified in news reports as being the unit who responded to Jessica's apartment that day. When asked by reporters in September of 2016 exactly who responded there and last saw Jessica alive, McDonald County Sheriff Michael Hall referred all questions to the Knoll Marshal's office. At that time, Marshal Randy Wilson said that his office wasn't part of the murder investigation, but regarding a call at Jessica's house on July 16th, he believed the former Marshal, Paul Gardner, may have been the one who responded to the call. Wilson added that he really wasn't sure because he wasn't present when officers went to Jessica's apartment. Nobody was taking responsibility for having been to Jessica's apartment and witnessing her alive shortly before her death. It's interesting to note that the Knoll Marshal's office is even smaller than the McDonald County Sheriff's office. 
It's staffed by about eight officers, only half of whom are full-time employees. It would seem that it should be fairly easy to identify who responded to Jessica's home and saw her alive when there are only eight options for who could have gone, especially when such information should be readily available through the CAD system. CAD is a computerized dispatch system used by law enforcement to track calls, officer contacts, and any warrant checks. According to Jessica's friends who've attempted to obtain the CAD records, MCSO has been unwilling to release them. The seemingly secretive nature in the way that Jessica's case is being handled begs the questions, why have the CAD records apparently been kept out of the media and away from the public? And why don't we know which Noel Marshall officer last saw Jessica alive? It's also interesting to note that Randy Wilson was chief deputy at the time of Jessica's death. He was promoted to marshal in September of 2016 after the former marshal, Paul Gardner, abruptly resigned his position without explanation. What could have prompted Gardner to leave his position so suddenly? It doesn't appear that Gardner ever made any comments to the press about whether or not he was the one who responded to Jessica's house and last saw her alive. According to her friends, Jessica was close with both Paul Gardner and Randy Wilson. Wilson has said that he went to Jessica's house later that evening after he was off duty for Noel and on duty for Lanigan Police Department. He said he went there to try to make contact with Jessica, but he was unsuccessful. Wilson's supposed visit to Jessica's home the night of July 16th only raises more questions. Why would he go to her house after another officer had already made contact with her that day? And why would he respond to a location in Knoll when he was on duty for Lanigan PD, a town about six miles northeast of Knoll? Did Wilson have reason to be concerned for Jessica's safety, enough to check on her a second time that day? Three of Jessica's close friends, Mimi Bailey, Kendra Baker, and Candace Nutting all spoke to investigators and news outlets about Jessica in the weeks leading up to her body being found. Based on those conversations, a timeline of events emerged. Tito, who was a Somali national, met Jessica while working at the Tyson Foods plant. Tito helped Jessica get out of her abusive relationship with her previous boyfriend, Miguel Casillas. Miguel was believed to be the father of her oldest child, four-year-old Saya. Jessica at some point converted to Islam, which was Tito's religion, and they were married via Muslim tradition, but the marriage wasn't recognized legally. Jessica and Tito had a daughter together named Saida, who was 20 months old at the time of Jessica's murder. Unfortunately, Tito was just as abusive toward Jessica as her previous boyfriend, and the two were no strangers to domestic violence incidents, which law enforcement knew all too well. Their relationship was so tumultuous that Jessica once told her friends that if she ended up dead, Tito was the one who did it. During her relationship with Tito, Jessica had a paramour named Ibrahim Akfin. It didn't seem to be too much of a secret, though, as all three of them lived in Jessica's apartment at times. It was believed that Jessica's seven-month-old daughter, Intazar, might be Ibrahim's child. Tito's abuse was so bad that Mimi, Kendra, and Candace begged Jessica to have a plan in place to leave him. Her plan was to leave Tito and take her children to St. Louis with Ibrahim, who was moving there soon. 
Jessica's friends also tried to get her to move in with them, pending her being able to get to St. Louis with Ibrahim. Mimi went to Jessica's house on July 14th of 2019 to talk to her about her and the kids moving in with Mimi. She wanted Jessica to leave right then, just to grab a few things and get to Mimi's house where she'd be safe. But Jessica opted to stay home with Tito that night and connect with Mimi the next day. Little did Mimi know that would be the last time that she'd ever see her best friend. The next day, July 15th, Ibrahim moved out of Jessica's apartment and left for St. Louis. Jessica was supposed to contact Mimi that same morning, but she never did. When Mimi didn't hear from Jessica on the 15th, she got worried and went to Jessica's apartment. She screamed her best friend's name over and over, but wasn't able to get anyone to answer the door. Between several calls to law enforcement from Mimi and Kendra both expressing concern for their friend's safety, Noel Marshalls finally went to Jessica's apartment with Mimi. Several officers stood by while Mimi tried to get someone to answer the door. They all heard Mimi's Siberian husky, Jade, inside the apartment whining. Mimi had let Jessica keep Jade for a while for safety reasons because the dog was very protective of women and children, which gave them both a sense of comfort. Officers didn't think they had enough cause to force entry, but they told Mimi that she could do as she wanted as long as she understood that someone could potentially press charges against her for breaking in. She tried to get the door open, at one point using a crowbar, but the door opened outward, not inward, and was bolted from the inside, which made it impossible for Mimi to pry open. The officers and Mimi also heard a kid's movie playing inside of Jessica's apartment, and the sound of someone shushing somebody, but nobody ever came to the door. After four hours of unsuccessfully trying to get someone to answer the door, Mimi and the officers left Jessica's apartment. On July 16th, Ibrahim called Mimi and Kendra to let them know that Jessica had called him in the early morning hours that day. He said she was extremely upset and asked him to come back and get her. It's possible that Jessica was upset about an incident that happened the night before. A woman, her son, and her boyfriend had stayed at Jessica's apartment the night of the 15th. Jessica had kicked them all out at about 6 in the morning on the 16th due to an unknown disagreement. Ibrahim had received a call from an unknown neighbor who told him there was a lot of arguing going on in Jessica's apartment the previous night, the night she kicked three people out. Noel Marshalls responded to Jessica's apartment again on the 16th after a 911 call, which is when unknown officers claimed to have made contact with Jessica, her three children, and Tito. On July 17th, Jessica's friends still had not heard from her. According to Kendra, it was at that point that she reported Jessica missing directly to Chief Deputy Randy Wilson. Wilson told her that he'd get back to her, but he never did. Online news reports stated that no one ever reported Jessica missing, which is in direct contrast to both Kendra's statements as well as an affidavit eventually written by the FBI, which states that dispatch also received a call from an individual on July 17, 2019, reporting that he, she had been unable to contact McCormick. It's unclear why the Noel Marshall's office never took a missing persons report. Without a report, it's unlikely that any officer was ever looking for Jessica. On August 8, 2019, 
10 days after the discovery of a body on Highway 59, the McDonald County Sheriff's Office made a statement to the press that the body could possibly be that of Jessica McCormick, based on the information they had uncovered so far. This included information about Jessica's hair, a tattoo, her teeth, and a birthmark, all of which was described to them by Mimi. Having to provide details about her best friend in order to identify her body is something that Mimi will never forget. Being forced to realize that Jessica was dead is a moment that's replayed over and over in her mind. It was especially hard for her and Jessica's other friends to accept because they thought they had been talking to Jessica the entire time she was missing. Back on July 16th, when they couldn't make contact with their friend at her apartment, Mimi, Kendra, and Candace began trying to contact Jessica on Facebook Messenger repeatedly, but with no luck. Then, the next day, Mimi got two replies through Messenger in the span of 10 minutes. While the responses did not sound like Jessica, her friends thought that perhaps she had just left town with her kids to decompress and everything was fine. Jessica had done that in the past, so it wasn't completely out of the realm of possibility, and they all hoped that she had finally left Tito. They continued to speak through Messenger for weeks, even as the body was being discovered on July 29th. When the unidentified body was initially found, Kendra immediately reached out to Jessica on Facebook to ask if she was okay. Kendra's thought was that Tito might have finally killed her, so she wrote a message asking, are you okay? They just found a body in a suitcase. The response Kendra got from Jessica's account said, no girl, I'm fine, I'm just hiding from him. After that, someone sent a message to Kendra from Jessica's account asking strange questions about what the body looked like which was a huge red flag to Kendra because, in her opinion, Jessica would have never asked what a body looked like. Then the messages to Kendra just stopped. For Mimi, the Facebook messages stopped as soon as the body was found. For Candace, the messages continued to come in well after the body was found, all the way up until Jessica was identified. At one point, Candace sent a message to Jessica telling her that the body in the suitcase didn't sit right with her, that she was worried. Someone replied to the message saying, I'm fine, girl. Tito's on his bullshit again. Perhaps that provided a small amount of relief, but it would be short-lived. Many of you listening right now are probably unwinding with a nice glass of wine, and I don't blame you. Who doesn't love pouring a glass of your favorite red or white wine after a long day? After a long day at work, I love pouring a glass of my favorite First Leaf wine and sinking into the couch. First Leaf makes it simple to discover new wines. They learn your tastes and then deliver quality, top-notch wines right to your door. It's great that there's always something new to try with First Leaf. Don't get me wrong, I have my favorites too but I always try to get something new with First Leaf. It's nice to break out of your comfort zone sometimes with wine, and First Leaf helps you do that. You don't have to drive to the store, stand in line, or look up reviews on certain wines before you buy them. And best of all, you don't have to overspend on bottles that you end up hating. First Leaf can recommend wines that you'll love with a 96% accuracy. You can rate every wine you receive from First Leaf with a simple thumbs up or thumbs down. 
Their experts will take your rating and send you personalized selections with new and exciting bottles in every box. If your tastes evolve, so will the wines that you receive. And if you're not satisfied with a certain bottle, First Leaf will credit you for another. It's my go-to way to get my favorite wines and try new ones. Sign up today and you'll get your first six bottles for $39.95 plus free shipping. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash murderish. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash murderish to get your first six bottles for $39.95 plus free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com slash murderish. If you're hearing this ad, that's great news. You're alive, but you can't always plan for everything. There's one thing that we can all plan on, and that's where Ethos Life Insurance comes in. Studies show that people think life insurance is three times more expensive than it actually is. But with Ethos, plans can be as low as $10 per month. Ethos offers an online application that only takes minutes. With their 100% online process, Ethos doesn't require any medical exams, only a few easy health questions. They offer competitive rates from top-rated carriers, making Ethos both affordable and convenient. My family means the world to me. I want to make sure they're protected should something happen to me. With their helpful online experts, you'll go through the life insurance process with ease and peace of mind. Join the thousands of satisfied families protected with help from Ethos who've given the company high ratings and reviews on Google. Every year you wait, life insurance premiums increase by 8 to 10%. Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com slash murderish, spelled E-T-H-O-S life.com slash murderish. Go to ethoslife.com slash murderish to get your free life insurance quote today. Ethos Technologies, Inc. operates in California as Ethos Life Insurance Services, not available in all states, and prices subject to underwriting and certain health questions. Once Jessica's body was identified, people likely wondered what kind of person would hack into the Facebook account of a murdered woman and pretend to be her, all while her undiscovered body sat for weeks in a suitcase. And of course, people wondered whether that person was Jessica's killer. Unfortunately, police reports have not been released to the public, potentially because this is still an ongoing case. It's unknown whether investigators ever looked into who was using Jessica's Facebook account after she was already dead. Though distinguishing features were used to initially identify the body, detectives needed more to be certain it was Jessica. They attempted to find dental records to make a positive ID, and Jessica's half-brother, Jason, gave a DNA sample to compare to the body. While waiting on DNA results and dental records, detectives realized that neither Jessica nor her three children had been seen since July 16th. Out of concern for their safety, MCSO asked for the public's help in locating Saya, Saida, and Intazar. Miguel Casillas, who was believed to be Saya's father, came forward to report his daughter missing so that she could be entered into a national system as missing and endangered. An Amber Alert was issued, and MCSO began working with the Missouri State Highway Patrol to locate the children. Late in the evening that same day, all three children were found unharmed at a residence in Des Moines, Iowa. According to Detective Jake Lancaster with the Des Moines Police Department, the children were found inside the home of a woman named Malgun Coliso. Coliso told detectives that on August 5th, 
Tito showed up at her house between 6 and 7 p.m. with the three children. She knew Tito from having previously worked with him at the Tyson plant in Knoll. Three days later, on the same day the Amber Alert was issued, Colisa was awoken at 4 a.m. by children crying. She discovered that Tito was gone and that he left a note saying that he couldn't care for the children and that whoever found them would be their guardian. Coliso then contacted Des Moines PD to let them know that the kids were at her house. The children were then taken into protective custody by family services in Iowa and placed into foster homes. A warrant for Tito's arrest was quickly issued for kidnapping Saya, who again was believed to be the daughter of Miguel Casillas. It appeared that Tito was now on the run and he was immediately considered a fugitive from justice. On Tuesday, August 13th, Mahmoud Tito Mohammed was formally charged with kidnapping when a federal criminal complaint was filed in U.S. District Court by the FBI. On August 14th, the McDonald County Sheriff's Office served a search warrant at Jessica's apartment. Several items were obtained, which were sent to a lab for analysis. It's unknown whether any evidence of her murder was recovered or identified as a result of the analysis. Tito was named as a person of interest in Jessica's murder, based on the number of domestic violence calls between him and Jessica, and because he took the children and then disappeared. In addition, Tito was facing two prior felony charges related to sodomy and weapons from an incident in 2017 involving a different woman from Knoll, Missouri. A court hearing related to those charges was scheduled for November 19, 2019. Clearly, Tito was on the run for reasons beyond Jessica's murder. On September 10, 43 days after her body was discovered, Sheriff Michael Hall finally released a statement positively identifying the body to be that of Jessica McCormick. Her identity had been confirmed by DNA and dental records. Jessica's brothers and closest friends attended a vigil and funeral for her. Notably absent from the funeral was Jessica's paramour, the man she was supposed to be leaving Tito for, Ibrahim Akfin. People couldn't help but wonder whether this was just a personal decision on Ibrahim's part or if there was a more significant meaning to his absence. Jessica's friends were able to use Facebook to track Tito's movements for a while, and Kendra kept detectives updated on his location, but it seemed to her that the information was not taken seriously, and because of that, Tito was able to slip quietly out of the country and disappear. For nearly two years, he was on the run, and nobody knew where he was. But in July of 2021, law enforcement caught up with him in Guatemala, where he was arrested and then returned to the United States to face the federal kidnapping charge. During his arrest in Guatemala, Tito fought with officers and attempted to take a weapon from one of them. Then, while in the airport awaiting transport to the U.S., Tito attempted to flee from law enforcement, but he was apprehended. Tito's first U.S. court appearance took place on July 28, 2021, nearly two years after Jessica's body was discovered along Highway 59. The following month, on August 4th, a judge ordered Tito to remain in the Greene County Jail in Missouri without bond while awaiting trial. Tito's attempts to flee had not helped his case in court. Since then, there have been many back-and-forth motions from both the U.S. Attorney's Office and Tito's lawyers about the validity of the kidnapping charge. According to court documents, 
It's recently been discovered through DNA that Tito is actually the father of all three of Jessica's children. In light of that information, Tito's lawyers filed a motion to dismiss the case on the grounds that he could not kidnap his own child. However, on October 17, 2022, a judge filed a recommendation that the motion to dismiss be denied. The judge stated there was enough evidence to move forward with the jury trial and that Tito's defense could present their case at that time. Disappointingly for Jessica's loved ones, Tito has never been charged in connection with Jessica's murder, and no other suspect has ever been named. From the moment Jessica's body was discovered, her friends took it upon themselves to find answers. They believed that law enforcement wasn't giving Jessica's case the attention it deserved. They think there was a lackadaisical attitude of same shit different day when it came to Jessica. They also maintain that some members of law enforcement who were involved in the investigation were anti-Muslim, based on public Facebook posts made by a specific officer and comments he left on Jessica's posts, not to mention the rocky history Noel has with its Somali immigrant residents. Mimi, Kendra, and Candace went door-to-door -door in Knoll, looking for anyone who might know something, but they didn't find much. Still, they have never stopped searching for answers and trying to keep Jessica's memory alive. They've attempted to get copies of police reports and other information from McDonald County, but they've been denied at every turn. They've tried without success to use means like the Sunshine Law to get information about 911 calls Jessica may have made or that may have been made about her. The Sunshine Law, according to the Missouri Attorney General's website, is the embodiment of Missouri's commitment to openness in government. Basically, it's like a Freedom of Information Act for Missouri. Under FAQs about the Sunshine Law on that website, in regard to 911 calls, it states the information that's available to the public is the incident information. This means that the date, time, specific location, and immediate facts and circumstances of the 911 call should be public information. The recording itself is not available to the public. So why has the incident information in Jessica's case been withheld? This is just one of many unanswered questions. Because there seems to be a lot of unexplored avenues and what seems to be a lack of proper investigation, Jessica's friends have started a GoFundMe page to raise money for a private investigator. They also have a Facebook group called Justice for Jessica Calling All Web Sleuths, where people can share information and continue their pursuit of the truth. Jessica's friends don't know who murdered her, but they have theories. They believe that Tito could have killed Jessica, not only because he was a violent man who's injured her before, but because he could have discovered that she was planning to leave him and take the kids. Or possibly because she had recently told him there was a chance that their youngest child, Intazar, might not be his. Perhaps he didn't kill her, but set the whole thing up. Or maybe Ibrahim was involved somehow. No one can be sure what happened, and there doesn't seem to be any information coming from law enforcement about the investigation. In their quest to find answers, Candace and Kendra have spoken to Tito a few times since he's been in custody. According to them, when they asked him why he took the kids, he said he got scared when Jessica's body was found. He didn't feel like he'd be given a fair chance because of his race, so he took the kids and ran. 
Whatever the reason, him fleeing the country does not help in the court of public opinion. After Jessica's children were found and placed in protective custody in 2019, Kendra's mother tried to adopt them. At first, it seemed like there was a good chance of the adoption going through, but the kids ended up staying with their foster families. Since then, none of Jessica's friends know where her children ended up or how they're doing today, which absolutely breaks their hearts. Worse than that, according to Kendra, when the kids were initially taken into protective custody, Saya, Jessica's four-year-old daughter, told Family Services that she had watched her mommy die. However, authorities believe Saya was too young at the time and the situation too traumatic for her to know for sure what she may have seen. The accuracy of this information has not been verified, but if Jessica did witness her mother's murder, it adds another unimaginable layer of tragedy to this case, one that could someday be the key to unraveling the mystery. Amid all the questions and heartbreak, the hope is that one day, one way or another, the truth about who killed Jessica McCormick will be revealed, and she will finally be given the justice she and her children deserve. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Murderish. If you have any information regarding the murder of Jessica McCormick, please call the McDonald County Sheriff's Office at 417-223-4319, or you can try calling the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. If you'd like to contribute to Jessica's GoFundMe, visit GoFundMe.com and search hashtag Justice for Jessica McCormick. Don't forget to check out my new Patreon perks. Murderish Behind the Mic Patreon membership is a great option for those who've listened to every episode of Murderish and want access to bonus episodes or those who want to listen to the podcast with no ads. To sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic and get access to all of the exclusive perks, visit Murderish.com or go to Patreon.com and search for Murderish there. I want to say a huge thank you to Jennifer C., Jen P., Florence V., and Misty L. for joining Murderish Behind the Mic. Thank you all so much. I'm really looking forward to interacting with you on Patreon. For those who don't know, I host another true crime podcast called Dirty Money Moves Women in White Collar Crime. The podcast follows my investigation of a woman I met a few years ago, a woman who turned out to be a prolific scam artist. It's a wild story that even has ties to the Michael Jackson scandal. You can subscribe to Dirty Money Moves wherever you're listening right now. There are a bunch of episodes for you to binge right now. Do me the biggest favor and tell your friends about Murderish or leave the show a positive rating and review in any podcast app. You can also show your support by wearing a Murderish t-shirt while you're out and about. And trust me, it's a great conversation starter. Go to Murderish.com to buy t-shirts, bags, coffee mugs, and so much more. Don't forget to follow Murderish on Instagram and TikTok at Murderish Podcast. I'm really active on both platforms, so check it out. Murderish sound design and audio editing is by Justin Hellstrom. Some of the music was composed by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by Gina Mazzolini. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. As always, Ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.